Welcome, everybody, to a Couch Divided podcast. My name is Nick Thomas. Alongside with me, as always, the Dr. Robin Hall, the wonderful, beautiful Dr. Robin Hall, as always. How you I, do, I, they let us out again, Robin. They, so, yeah, yeah, just barely. Yeah. Midnight. Just, just barely, yeah. Midnight. I'm like a gremlin. You can't feed me after midnight, and you shouldn't <laughs> let me out or get me wet or anything like yeah, that. No yeah, no water. No water. This generation's like, what's the gremlins? I don't know what the gremlins are. You know, I've never actually even seen that. And I'm like, I consider myself like a horror enthusiast even. You've never seen the gremlins? No. Oh, well, because okay. it's just, yeah. it's stupid. I'll be searching for a new I, co-host I, here soon. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, well, brother, um, I'm really glad to be back. We have, the last week has been kind of crazy for the guests that we've had on. Yeah. So we just had Laura Clausen on. We just had John, John, John Speed, Speed on yeah. talking about IVF, talking about abortion. What does that have to do with psychology? Well, I mean, if you didn't tune into the episode, right. you need to tune into the episode because it has everything to do about, uh, well, I mean, I mean, impulsive behavior, disposition, behavior, uh, behavior, health, all that stuff. And uh, human, condition. Wh- human condition and what we do even um, affects other people. Go figure. Yeah. Um, yeah, you actually matter in this world, and your decisions actually right because <laughs> of Jesus, of the, yeah, right. because, of, because Christ. of Christ. Uh, the ultimate act of love has affected us. Why wouldn't we say that our actions can affect other people from the overflow of that virtue? Right? Uh, we wouldn't say that. Yeah, right, right, that, right. That they do. But I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous uh, uh, right now, um, and because it, uh, there's a man on our podcast that I admire a lot. Great, great, right? great. Right. And we'll introduce him in a second. But if you want to contact us at a couch divided podcast at gmail.com, please uh, continue your, to yeah, uh, send us your yeah, questions. continue uh, to send your questions and your comments. You can find us on social media as well at a couch divided pod. Same name, both on Facebook and Instagram. Yes, we're on there. Yes, you message us. Yes, we're encouraged. Keep doing so. Um, what are we going on three years now? Yeah. About three years with this. That's yeah. And crazy. we've built up a small audience and it's because of you and you keep listening and we love you. We've been on episodes like uh, Coltish and Sheologians and we get some the love from that audience as well. And so thank you very much for being a part of that. But the reason why I'm nervous, the reason why I'm nervous <laughs> is because, again, we have um, a, a man that I have followed for a long time and have uh, I've heard uh, debate Roman Catholics, Mormons, uh, Muslims, uh, uh, Muslims um, atheists who try to give him antifreeze. I've heard that too as well. Oh yeah, I remember um, that. <laughs> and uh, he's even got a t-shirt, which I didn't get that t-shirt. <laughs> and I need that t-shirt. <laughs> to, which t-shirt? Uh, there is a t-shirt with a bottle of antifreeze on there, but, uh, um, and uh, that is a, uh, pertaining to the person I'm talking about uh, right now is uh, Dr. James White, um, who is the uh, co-founder and leader of Alpha and Omega Ministries. You can go to aomen.org and see uh, all um, his exhortations, his uh, uh, academia, a brilliant uh, Greek scholar uh, here. uh, Dr. James White, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I'd say it's good to be here, uh, even though I missed out uh, on the opportunity last week because I double booked myself while traveling, but uh, I'm sitting here in our uh, mobile studio, uh, which is the, uh, I think it's probably pretty unique. Uh, I don't, I doubt there is any other 35 foot long RV fifth wheel in the United States that uh, has had its uh, bedroom converted into a fully functional uh, 4K, yeah. uh, multi-camera. Yeah, uh, that's so uh, cool. Look at that. Yeah, um, that's great. Uh, uh, studio, but um, 
Here we are. So, uh, well, that yeah. is a, we're on a couch. I'm in Colorado right now. Oh, oh you're in Colorado. Okay, I was going to ask that. Yeah, we're on a couch right now with uh, uh, just a picture. <laughs> a picture <laughs> that's, of that's our, about it. our logo in the back. Well, we are I'm so thankful. I'm about 6,000. I think I'm at 6,000 feet altitude right now. Oh, wow. Um, this morning I got up and uh, drove up to Echo Lake. And uh, I only did about an hour and 40 minutes of riding, but uh, I was riding between 10,300 and 11,100 feet above sea level. Um, so it's beautiful up there. I mean, it is just uh, one of the reasons I keep riding, even though I'm getting older and it's uh, it's getting it's getting tougher, um, honestly, is because of the stuff that you can see. So uh, let me this was literally this is one of my favorite spots on the on the planet um and this is this was literally this morning so let me see if i can uh yeah yeah oh wow wow that was that was this morning at echo lake uh with mount evans in the background oh, and that's... uh it's um there <laughs> is just there is just so much beauty up in that uh up in that area it's uh it's uh it's great yeah so anyways that's what i'm up to that's amazing uh, i'm be heading up to minnesota uh, after I after I preach this weekend, I'll be heading up to Ely, Minnesota, to preach up there, and then zooming back here. Yeah, I just did a, a conference uh, at a church here over the past weekend on uh, theonomy and postmillennialism, basically. Mm. And uh, I haven't done much of that before, but I managed to get through it. And nobody threw anything at me, so I guess it went all right. So, <laughs> there you go. I've seen partially empirically myself uh, your venture. I was in Texas um, near Austin uh, at a conference at Joel Webbins Church. I believe you were there too as well. And a funny story is that uh, when we were getting ready to leave, we couldn't find my brother's truck. He had a small little Colorado truck. And all of a sudden, we find it because it's smashed in between two monster-sized trucks. <laughs> and that's the truck I'm talking about <laughs> right there. There she is. There she is. There doggy. I get a tap at the window, and it's Dr. White. I roll it down. I'm like, hey, <laughs> hello, Dr. White. How are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm sorry that you had to park, uh, you know, your puny little truck had to park next to my big old V6.6 liter and all, <laughs> all that. And, uh, 6.6 liter turbo diesel, yeah. speed out. Yeah. Uh, we're not animals you know, or we're no, not dogs. It's not mine, actually. It's actually not mine. That's oh, okay. We're not animals or dogs, but if I had a tail, it swooped down low for the... Uh, for the, uh, for the <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do remember doing that. It was terrible of me. I should repent, but I still feel like it. No, no we, we, we laughed about it the, the whole time and uh, uh, it's great you get to have fun on the road and so and that was our last uh minute in, in austin or whatever we were at georgetown georgetown, georgetown austin georgetown. yeah yeah, yeah georgetown. North, north yeah. of austin yeah, yeah just north yeah. of austin there i'm not sure i would have wanted to be be in austin actually no it's about as deep, deep blue as you can get yeah yeah that's what i've heard yeah uh joe rogan is trying to rectify that with his uh comedy club but i think he's making it worse knowing him yeah so one of the things um actually one of the ways that i actually first came to know you and your work was through your book on grieving mm -hmm. um ah. joy actually gave it to me uh right at, my dad died in 2016 he was not a believer and after like a year and a half uh 
very ugly fight against esophageal cancer. Um, and I, I really couldn't see straight for several months after he passed away, but your book was one of the first like clearing of the fog experiences really? that I had after that. And, um, so that it has a very special place in my heart and always will. And yeah. as a counselor, I have given it to, I actually have no idea. Like I wouldn't even really be able to estimate how many people, um, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of pastor friends that buy it by the box and just keep mm -hmm. it under their desk. Basically. Mm -hmm. It's so, yeah. so good. Um, can you tell, can you and, tell, and Oh, go ahead. It's not, it's, it's not meant to be, you know, it, it's short. It's, it's a small little right. thing. Um, and here's, here's, here's how it came about. Uh, first of all, that's my second best selling book, by the way. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And uh, behind the King James only gone yeah. yeah. And on September 13th, 2001, um, they were passing that out by the box load at ground zero in New York to the wow. first responders uh, in, in New York city. Oh, I have goosebumps. Wow. I'm very, very proud of that yeah, reality. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you would never have imagined when I was in seminary that, that, that book would ever be written. Uh, I was very focused upon apologetics, theology, Greek, Hebrew, all the rest of that kind of stuff. And what happened, I mean, if you want, if you want Providence, um, there was a day we called Black Tuesday uh, in Alpha and Omega's history. Um, we lost about 67% of our funding in one day. We didn't wow. have much funding to begin with. Whoa. And, um, and it wasn't a positive thing. And so, you know, I think we already had Josh. We already had, we, we already had both kids. And I needed to find more work. I needed to find Alpha and Omega just... Alpha Mega was only doing $400 a month as it was and wasn't going to be able to continue doing that. Mm. And so I happened to be at, at a guy's house witnessing to some Mormon missionaries. And after the missionaries left, he said, you know, um, I have this part-time job at Thunderbird Samaritan Hospital as a chaplain, he said, and I'm moving. And so that, that position's open. You really ought to, you really ought to apply. And I'm just like, no, that, that's not me. Mm -hmm. I'm Scottish. <laughs> um, Scotsmen do not walk into people's sick rooms yeah. not, not knowing who they are just to try to start a conversation. I mean, yeah. no, 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 no. But we needed, we were, we were desperate. And so I applied and I was one of the only people who applied that had already had my master's in theology from Fuller. And so I got the job and the other chaplain was an priest nice guy fairly conservative mm -hmm. and um so one of the parts of the job was on sunday afternoons at two o'clock now thunderbird samaritan's not a christian hospital right. obviously and, and now it's about three times bigger than it was back then where too. where is that thunderbird samaritan 51st 50, 55th avenue in thunderbird yeah okay that's the hospital it, that my father died in mm. i did yeah, my, my, yeah, my first clinical rotation there yeah, my mom, um, I think my mom, when she had, yeah, when she first had her heart attack that would eventually kill her, she went to Thunderbird as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I was the chaplain there. And uh, on Sundays at two o'clock, uh, there is a lost support group. I had never done anything like that in my life. Yeah. And so I had to come to it with the other guy. And I'm just sitting there observing. 
how does how is how is he doing this? And I think I had two weeks with him there before he was just gone. He was actually candidating for a new job at other parishes. And so we were supposed to do it every other week. For the per- first 52 weeks, I had 48 of them. Wow. And so I was just thrown into this wow. without any experience at all. And I rushed off to Brian uh, Christian Bookstore. We used to have things called Christian Bookstores. It's right. really- weird idea um i bought a bunch of books and started reading them and realized i can't do what these people are saying because the theology in all of the books was you put god over there someplace god had nothing to do with this loss nothing to do with this god will make everything better now but he had nothing to do with this person's life in the first place and i'm like that doesn't even make any sense Mm. uh it it was it's the theology of the books was just completely opposite mm. of what I could in all honesty present. Right. And so I didn't know what in the world to do. Um, and the first night I was on, I mean, the very first night, the code bell goes off. Now, I'm not, not sure if you've heard the code oh, bell yeah. of Thunderbird. Oh, yeah. They haven't They haven't changed it. Uh, it's I've, I heard it recently, and it's the same thing. And I break into a sweat as soon as I hear it uh, in a dream or anything else because you were supposed to drop whatever you were doing and it would it would go off and then it would say 3a er yep. whatever and that means someone has gone into cardiac arrest in one of those locations and i have to get there as quick as i can whatever else i'm doing i've got to get there and so the first night it went off i go walking in and the nurse sees me coming they don't know who I am yet, but they sort of recognize what I am. And they said, we have a woman that just coded. Her husband just walked out to go get something to eat in the cafeteria. Mm. And so I'll point him out when he comes back. He comes walking back in. And the only place that we could go was a, a linen closet. Mm. I mean, there was no other place to go. And so I take this guy aside and I, he's not a believer. And she was just fine when he left. And even I could tell from looking at what was going on in the room, this didn't look good. Yeah. And she passed. And it was my first experience informing someone of a reality like that, where they had nothing that they had no family. They had no faith. They had, they had nothing. You could just see his eyes just go blank. I mean, and out there, Thunderbird's close to Sun City. Mm-hmm. A lot of retirement communities out there. And so over the, the years that I was a chaplain there, I just, I saw so many people, especially women come in who had lost a husband and their entire self-definition had been based upon him. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things that, and I mentioned this in the book, one of the things I learned early on and learned from the other guy and then saw it over and over again, if if you could not get that woman to be able to look at the future as something other than just simply blackness, loneliness, confusion, you, you had to do what you could to remind her of her importance to other people, mm. family, whatever else it might be so that she could look to the future with some kind of hope. 
if there was no hope there, she'd be the next code bell mm. at Thunderbird when they're bringing right. her in. Right. Yeah. And you know how often um, an older spouse will die yeah. relatively close to the time that the, the other spouse had died. It's just, it, it happens all the time. Yep. And there's a reason for it. And so that's where everything got started. And that lost support group, uh, I do a lot of reading. Um, I did that the, the hospital paid for me to take a lot of training courses and stuff like that. But again, it was primarily secular. It doesn't mean there wasn't stuff that you could learn from it and things like that, but still, um, and that, that's really what the background of the book was, but eventually the ministry got to the point they could pay me enough to live again. And the hospital had decided to start hiring. They're going to hire a Wiccan chaplain. Mm. Oh my. Wow. <clears throat> and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Uh, I couldn't do that. So, so I left the chaplaincy and I'm going to tell you something. I have tremendous respect for any hospital chaplain. That is, that was some of the hardest work I ever, ever did. And some of the greatest experiences, I mean, I had, I, I experienced horrible deaths, no hope, just horrible. But then uh, I'll never forget the, one of the first people who ever got a pacemaker uh, died there and he was a, a Christian man and the nurses the nurse, this one nurse came up to me, have you seen Mr. I don't remember his name, honestly. He was in the CCU. And I said, no, he's always been unconscious when I've come in. And, and, and she's like, oh, she says, he is something else. You, you come in and you have to take blood. And he says, thank you, honey. And you know, it hurt. Yeah. And she says, I've got to tell you, um, I, I went in and, and I was talking with him. And I, I just said to him, I said, honestly, I said, you, you know, you're dying. And he goes, Oh, of course, honey, I know. And she says, are you afraid? And he said, honey, I've talked to the Lord for over 80 years. Why should I be afraid to go see him? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just this incredible confidence. And it just so happened in the providence of God on a Sunday afternoon after the lost support group, I was doing my rounds. I went into CCU and he had a, a relative there but he was, he was unconscious and they had a relative there. And so I was talking to her. And by this point I was a, I was department fellow in anatomy and physiology at Grand Canyon. So I was double major uh, and a minor in Greek. And so I was using my pre-med training uh, at Grand Canyon in the hospital. And so I was sort of looking over at the monitors and by this point in time, I could tell when someone was dying. And I said to her, I said, I think it's time. And right about then the alarm started going off the nurse's station and in came that same nurse. And so the relative stood on one side of the bed, the nurse on the other side, holding his hands. And I'm, I have my arm around the relative or something like that. And he just passed away so peacefully. And I had seen a lot of deaths that were anything but peaceful. Mm. Right. But here was someone who, with his last breaths, had testified of what it meant to have a yeah. a faith in Christ. And right. so there were there were situations like that, but they were unfortunately the exception, not the rule. 
and so if you remember at the beginning of the book, I gave somewhat of the story yeah. of what had happened with little autumn. Um, there was this man I knew we were not really, we had crossed swords theologically big time. We weren't buddies, but we had sort of came, we'd come to a point where we had sort of decided to put the swords down and just live life. Well, um, his daughter had epilepsy and she had a 29 day old child. She had a seizure and rolled over on the child and the child suffocated. And I went to the funeral and you're not supposed to have a casket that's this long. You know, it's just, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. And when that was done, I went back to my office and I just cleared my desk. And my first, my whole intention was this was going to be for this guy whose daughter had experienced this. I was just going to write out everything for him. Um, and about three quarters of the way through, I realized this was a book. And so when I finished it, I gave it to my editor. I was a Bethany House author. So Letters to a Mormon Elder, King James Only Controversy, Roman Catholic Controversy, all that, they're all Bethany House books. And he used to be the um, uh, bookstore manager at Berean Christian Bookstore next to Grand Canyon. Uh, his name is Steve Lobby. And so I gave Steve the book and he read it and he got back to me and he said, I want this book. We, I'm bringing this book in house, but I got to tell you something ahead of time. I'm taking your name off it. And I said, why? And he said, well, think about it. What books of yours have we published? The King James only controversy, the Roman Catholic controversy, um, letters to a Mormon elder. It's all apologetics. It's battle. It's not, you're not supposed to have a heart. <laughs> that, doesn't fit. that doesn't fit at all. Um, so, oh, very so they took my name off. Yeah, it violates the James White brand, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, big time. And that's why most people have no idea I ever wrote the book at all. And they can't see how it's possible I did. So they took my name off of it. And the internal editing people were like, yeah, we, we really want this. So who wrote it? And then once he told them, they're like, oh, how are we going to market this? Oh, yeah, yeah. But they did, and um, they've always sort of kept it separate from my other stuff. Um, and they've kept it in print for years and years and years. Uh, because, like I said, it's still my second best-selling book, and evidently it, it still has a, a brisk life to it, uh, even after all this time. So, yeah, that one, very, very, I mean, I wrote it probably in three days, I would say. Wow. Um, in comparison to, you know, two years for the God who justifies and mm. stuff like that. Right. Um, right. The other, so like the very, dissertation, very, very different. Yeah. Yeah. Like the dissertation level, like research right. books mm. on a Paul. Yeah. So for those of you guys that have not heard of this book, it's called grieving your path back to peace. Um, and they are not keeping James White's name off of it any longer. Um, so you could see James R. White right at the top. And uh, like I said, I've lost count of how many people I've given it to. And per personally, it was such a pivotal, um, it was a pivotal point in my own grieving 
after the loss of my dad. So I'm, it's, I, I didn't expect us to get into, to all of that today, but I'm so glad that we did. I, I mean, and that, I just love how conversations kind of organically evolve that way. And it's, 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 it's honestly of all the topics that I'm asked to address, it's my least favorite because Mm -hmm. the one thing I never learned to do as a chaplain, because I just don't think that I am constituted to do it, is to, to turn off my emotion. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, I'll cry at funerals. I cried at the end of Toy Story 3. Me too. Um, I just watched it, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that was years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, two weeks ago, uh, what's today? So two weeks ago, last Friday, uh, I had to put down my little kitty, Darth. And I had had him for 15 years and I was his favorite person. And I had read a a veterinarian uh, uh, did a tweet thread where he said, look, I need people to understand this. One of the hardest things for me as a veterinarian, when I put a pet down is when someone has simply dropped their pet off and then left. And at this time, this hardest time of their life, they're looking around for their human and they're gone. And he said, don't do that. And I remember reading that going, oh, well, now I'm going to have to, excuse me, now I'm going to have to uh, do that with Darth. Mm-hmm. Um, and believe me, it's far better for the animal. Yeah. But it's far harder on you. Right. Because I'm holding him, you know. Mm-hmm. I think like the day before yesterday was the first day I didn't cry. Mm. So I never, I just never learned to turn that stuff off. And so it was hard. Uh, I was always asked, for example, when you're a hospital chaplain, people would ask me to do the funeral because they didn't have any church home. Right. And doing funerals for unbelievers is extremely, extremely difficult. And so when people say, we'd like you to speak on your book on grieving, I'm just sort of like, oh, uh, because it just... I just never learned you have to, if you're going to be a chaplain for years and years on end, you have to find some type of defense mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or you're just, you're, you're just going to be constantly pulled through it's the right word. The way yeah. my mom used to put it is pulled through a knot hole backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure where mm-hmm. she got that. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but it is. How accurate is that though? It's in a, terms of, it's an appropriate word defense mechanism too. And, you know, I've been encouraged by you uh, in, in talks of academia as well, and it, it, it does pertain to this topic. It is so easy to capitulate to emotions or even the secular notions of things, sometimes just to be accepted by others in your circle. <clears throat> and, um, you know, we're counselors, uh, you know, I have degrees in behavioral health, Robin's got her doctorate, all of that stuff. And in those academic circles, especially since it's so prevalent in the culture, if you speak like them, think like them, and understand like them, they'll accept you. And you can smoke all the cigars and uh, and sip the wine all you want. Um, But then when you enter into um, with that uh, that realm with the Christian conviction, Um, you were usually shunned away. And I have to admit my own doubt in those things um, because it seems like the world is coming at you at that moment. You know, mm-hmm. what do you do in these kinds of moments? And even in grieving and emotionality. And so sometimes I, you know, I, I wonder, um, you know, if my academic sense is um, sort of 
almost nigh at that point that I need to forego all of it. And uh, it uh, just uh, just hearing you even tell that story and the realm that you were in um, has encouraged me uh, to be more forthcoming and, and, and not capitulate because like you, I've cried at the end of Toy Story, Lion King, all of that stuff. Too. I'm a big, I just saw a movie called Two Leslie about a woman overcoming alcoholism and I was a blubbering mess. Right, <laughs> like, but uh, but uh, I, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. I, I cry when people get the golden buzzer. It's yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> but sometimes sometimes you can't do that in public. Yeah. No, 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 no. You got you. Well, have that to music make... they put over in the background. All the, don't, don't. Oh, I know. The cello, yeah, you know, the violin. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think one of the things that is, I mean, so this is it's human experience, right? Like it, grief, any really strong emotional experience like that is infectious like you can walk into a room and you can feel that I've I've, you know you've been to funerals I've been to funerals of people that I did not know and bald because of the shared communal sadness and I think we as human beings as image bearers of God I mean my favorite scripture I talk about all the time is Jesus wept for so many reasons um we're actually not supposed to be stoic and with yeah. Jesus we have a foundation for assigning real value to a person to their physical being to their spiritual being and I I can only imagine as a Christian chaplain what it was like to watch unbeliever after unbeliever and probably more so their family members, right, of unbelievers try and deal and cope with that loss, which they do recognize intrinsically as Mm -hmm. being a spiritual event, right? And they just have no framework whatsoever to understand it, to cope with it, to grieve through it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they teach you in head doctor college, like when you're getting your master's and your doctorate, is that it's extremely important for you to be able to maintain kind of a tabula rasa, like blank slate Mm -hmm. disposition and demeanor when you're counseling people. And I have just found that is so, so far from reality. Mm. Um, we are not supposed to be unaffected by loss that we are helping counsel people through mm. trauma, whatever, um, wh- you know, which is a word that is used far too common yeah, but these days. It's but just in the scripture that we mourn longing to put right. on our heavenly dwelling. At least that's the, the Christian disposition. And, uh, I take that very seriously. I've actually spoken that verse um, from Corinthians at funerals and it, that, it, that it's okay to grieve, uh, especially when you're a Christian. We grieve like ones who have hope and that our, that our angst uh, leaves us uh, wanting the kingdom of God and wanting to put on our heavenly well, dwelling. Well, and so. recognizing too that every worldly explanation for this just is unsatisfactory. Mm. There's always a piece missing if you don't have the true, true Christ, truly Jesus. Right. Um, you know, but a- I, I really quickly before we move on, I think, I don't know actually that it, like it should be a thing where we are training people to build up those defense mechanisms so much as like, this is probably something that you're better suited to do in a seasonal capacity. Like you, you know, even sharing that it, like you were, unable to disconnect Mm -hmm. from the experiences of the people that you were counseling in that hospital. Mm -hmm. Is that actually something that we should be striving to do? Um, And if it is, you know, why? Not, not, not disconnect as as in, uh, you know, separation, but 
I just wish, honestly, how long ago was it that we, that the young mom, uh, passed away at Apologia, remember? Oh, it was um, a year and a half, Jana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no, I, not, not with COVID. Oh, Sarah, was, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I was asked to participate in the funeral, though I wasn't at Apologia, um, sort of just to help Jeff. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I was uh, more of a hindrance than a help because you walk in there and I didn't know her, mm-hmm. but you see everyone that I do know and they're all um, in that in that emotional state, and I I wish that I did have at least somewhat of a switch sure. uh, to just you know okay turn it off net for now you can do that later on or something like that. There are obviously people that are wired that way, and then yeah. there are people that are not. And uh, evidently, being a Scotsman, I'm supposed to. <laughs> have that switch but mine broke or something or didn't get it installed correctly or i don't know uh because i really i really struggle with it um maybe it's it's because on the other side of things you know what people normally see in me are the debates right Mm, yes and they they see the the killer instinct coming out in a in a debate situation and they just figure well that's that's the way he is all the time and people do ask me because I remember the first the first debate I did was in August of 1990 at St. Cyprian's Roman Catholic Church in Long Beach, California. And I was debating Jerry Matatix, mm. who is one of the few people I've debated Jerry 13 times. Yeah. Uh, but this was my very first public debate, and he can't out talk me. Uh, he doesn't have to breathe between words. It's a really weird thing. <laughs> I think he has gills. Um, and, uh, but, uh, and we're in a Roman Catholic church, so I'm in the small minority. I'll never forget, they did set up a table in the, the gym, and Catholic Answers had all their, you know, they had these six-foot-long tables, had multiple with covers and all their books and tapes and stuff. We had two books, the Roman Catholic, uh, The Fatal Flaw and Answers to Catholic Claims. They had just come out. That's all we have. Mm-hmm. And there's my dear wife, Kelly, standing there behind this one six-foot table where you have two little piles of books on the other side of the room from this big, huge thing. And I'll never forget that. I, I so appreciate her having been willing to do that. But the point is that when Jerry started getting aggressive and started using what we would identify today as cheap debating tricks, mm-hmm. I just got all that much calmer hmm. and I never studied debate. There, there was no debate offered at my high school. I, if there was debate at Grand Canyon, I didn't know anything about it. Didn't hear anything about it. I was already working anyways, so I wouldn't have been able to be involved with it. Uh, so I had never, I had no training whatsoever in debate. I've done 181 moderated public debates, but I was never trained to do it. Wow. And what was natural for me is that when I can tell the other guy is getting upset, I'm just like, oh, you want some more rope? (laughs) I just become more focused and more calm. And especially with someone like Jerry Matatix, that's exactly what you need to do. Right. And so, um, so there is on the other side, I do have major control when someone's coming at me when someone's angry or something like hmm. that, uh, I don't respond to anything uh, on that level. But 
I don't know if that's related at all to not having the emotional switch in other situations. I just think it's, in my mind, I prioritize that. And I, I figure, look, a debate is an opportunity for me to, you know, um, represent the truth. Mm. Right. And if that guy is losing his mind, then he's losing the debate. Yeah. Don't right. get in his way. Oh, yeah. And um, no one ever taught me that. It just was how I naturally responded to my mm -hmm. first public debate mm -hmm. and how I've kept doing it over the 33 years <laughs> since then, uh, doing debates all, all around the world. So, um, and that's been very helpful when debating in mosques in South Africa. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And and contexts like that, too. Let me let me tell you, that's uh, that's debating is not for everybody. No. Um, scholars far beyond me. Uh, I know I can, I can name scholars far beyond me that should never do a debate. They will look like a blithering idiot Yeah. because as you know, in radio, yeah. what's the great, the great danger in radio? Dead, dead air. air. Dead air. Oh. Yep. <laughs> know, what is it? We said it the same <laughs> I know. time. I'm like, dead what air. is it? Yeah. You, you have dead air for yeah. almost any time at all. And what's going to happen? They're going to change channel. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And we all do. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I once do, it yeah. goes blank, yeah. after about two seconds, you're punching the button to go Good. someplace else. Hey, what's going on here? And right. So, right. You, you never want dead air. And so in a debate, a person who cannot multitask, first of all, mm. and who cannot respond quickly it's going to look like they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Oh, he got him there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I remember meeting this one scholar once in Berlin. Brilliant guy. I mean, there's nothing he didn't know about Desiderius Erasmus. I mean, this guy just, but every time you asked him a question, he would literally sit there and stare at you for 30 <laughs> seconds. And mm. 30 seconds is a long time. Very, I mean, it's just sort of like, Are we you, talking you, about if we stop here for 30 seconds, yeah, everybody would tune out, believe me. Right, right. Um, are we talking about Sun Genis? Because he's done that a few times. In your <laughs> no, 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 okay. No, this guy's brilliant. And he'd sit there for 30 seconds. And then when he gave you his answer, it was like he had just written it as a dissertation. Oh, wow. Yeah. But he had to have that thought process time. Hmm. And so there are people who should just never, that guy should never do a debate. Right. Because mm -hmm. the, the audience is going to figure what's, What's with this guy? Wow. Right. Um, and so it, it, you have to be wired. And I really think that growing up doing radio, and when I did radio, it was live radio. It was records and carts. There was no, there were no CDs yet. Right. You had reel-to-reel -reel carts and 33s and 45s. And so, uh, and in the top of the hour, the UPI World News came on, and you had to be out and done and have that potted up there were no excuses right um because the the the, the news was going to start at the top of the hour and if you weren't done you looked like an idiot mm. that was so good for me because if you've watched almost any of my debates one of my biggest advantages is time management right <laughs> i can finish my opening statement in the amount of time that i'm given and make it sound like i'm done here's my presentation Think about it. Right. And my opponent is sitting there. They're either rushing or all of a sudden they look at their clock and they have three seconds left. And so they say, I'll have to finish this up later or something. 
and it's jarring to the audience. Yeah. They, they, it, it doesn't speak well to their preparation or their knowledge of the subject. And so that was my advantage to start with. And then, and this is something, I, let me say to young people, I did, a, I did two debates in 1993. No, yes, 1993. The Pope came to Denver. And I did a debate at Denver Seminary one night and then at a Presbyterian church the next night. Jerry Matatix, three and a half hours each night. So seven hours on the papacy over two nights. Oh, man, I'm exhausted and just thinking about that. Yeah. After, the first, after the first debate, a guy, I don't know who he was, he's probably dead now, um, came up to me. And he said, you had great material and everything, but you're trying to get too much in. You've got to bring your audience along with you. Mm. Now, some people would bristle at criticism and, you know, well, but I've got to get all this stuff in because you don't know Jerry. So like that, I just, I heard him. Yeah. I, I, I heard him and I had no ego response at all. Mm. And I went, yeah, I, I'd only done a few debates up to that point in time. It's like, okay, I will, I will do my best to make sure the people in the audience understand. And then right around that time, I learned the key to a debate. Mm -hmm. It's cross-examination. Yeah. Right. Um, that's where the wheels absolutely fall off of my opponents. Mm -hmm. And that's where my opponents are normally they're scared to death to do that part yeah. because yeah. I'm not a trained attorney, but I would have been a really good. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was getting ready to say and that. I've, de I've debated many attorneys and only two of them that I ever debated had any skill in cross-examination whatsoever. Yeah. The rest of them, I don't know what they did when they were in law school or they were just doing something. They never had to go to court, but mm. they have been pushovers when it came to debate. Uh, and to cross-examination. But I figured out fairly early on, that's when a debate takes place. Hmm. That's the only reason to come to a debate. You can go read my website. You can go read his website. And if that's all there was to it, why should we ever get together to talk about it? Right. Right. It's cross-examination. Right. That's where you can demonstrate the inconsistency of the other side's right. position. And they just don't know that. And they don't, don't know how to handle it. And again, I really think that it was working in radio, mm. having to have that discipline. And then one last thing, and I'm not sure how long you go or anything. We've, we've yeah. wandered all over the planet. Right. <laughs> but my senior year in high school, I was class valedictorian of my junior high school and class valedictorian of my high school. I went to Independence High School in Glendale and Deer Valley Junior High School up in North Phoenix. No big deal. And NBD. I was, I'm sorry? <laughs> no big deal. Just valedictorian over and over again. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was the guy. I never got a B. I never got demerit. I was never late for class. I was that guy. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Don't apologize. That's it. It's awesome. And so, so um, senior year, you remember you had to take classes that everybody had to take, like government right. and stuff like that. They were the required classes. The other classes, I was in all the advanced classes. So it was all those smart kids were in the advanced classes, advanced bio, advanced this, this, and this other thing. But the only time you were with the hoi polloi, the rest of the people, yeah. when you were taking government or whatever else. Yeah. And the government class we were in, 
if they want anybody to graduate, they couldn't exactly have a super high standard. Right. So <laughs> halfway through the semester, my senior year, I've already got senioritis. I'm bored. I've got 118% of the possible points already. Okay. I could turn nothing else in and still get an A in the class. So it's like, why am I even here? Right. Um, but I had a Christian work ethic, so uh, I, I stuck with it. But anyway, a bunch of the kids had convinced the teacher to do an extra credit project that they had done in junior high school. They had done the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. Wow. Oh, cool. What would have happened if Oswald hadn't been killed? Mm. Which was a huge setup. I mean, it's very obvious today. Mm -hmm. But anyway, <laughs> they one cl one class period. I was sitting there reading something because they were working on all this stuff, and I didn't I didn't care. And I looked over, <laughs> and I looked at the two groups. I looked at the prosecution, and I looked at the defense. And all of a sudden, something hit me. The next nine people on the honor roll. So I'm number one. Two through ten are all on the defense. Wow. Huh. They're all in defense. And I look at the prosecution. <clears throat> this is not even going to be interesting to attend. <laughs> this is going to be a wipeout. <laughs> so I'm bored. I've got senioritis. Right. And I'm like, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so I went up to the teacher and I said, I'd like to join the prosecution. <laughs> and she's like, why? I said, because look at the defense. And she looked over and she goes, Oh, okay. Let me tell you something. Good teacher. <laughs> I dove into that like you would not believe. Mm -hmm. I would wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, we could use this as a prop. We could do this. I went out to ASU and I got hold of the Warren Commission report. And I photocopied multiple photocopies of the testimony of everybody on the prosecution who was to be one of my witnesses. And I had all of their testimony in binders, the plastic binders with the rib on the end, my copy, their copy outlined in yellow. I mean, when we had the meeting before the trial at somebody's house, the teachers came over and they, I had a chair set up and they had their testimony and I had their testimony and I knew what their testimony was supposed to be. And I was drilling them on it. And then they went over to the defense's house where they were doing the same thing and they were having a food fight. <laughs> so the teachers knew what was coming. Yeah. And the funny thing is the they had 12 people on the jury and we didn't have anything to do with who was on the jury. I did not get the conviction. It was 11 to one for conviction. Wow. And the one was the girlfriend of one of the defense attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> I lived that trial. I mean, it, it, it was amazing. And for weeks afterwards, the funny thing was the stoners and the potheads were coming up to me in the hallways and were saying, hey, dude, I attended the trial, man. If I get arrested, can I give you a call? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's so funny. So, so there was a little glimpse yeah. In my senior year of what was going to happen in, in 181 so far moderated public debates. Um, and I, I'd like to think that some of that um, then transferred over to 
a young man uh, by the name of Jeff Durbin. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, who has said more than once. Certainly has. Yeah. That I was his mentor early on in the Christian faith okay. and certainly in debates. Because if you saw the last debate we did in Salt Lake City with yeah. the two ethicists, um, you need to realize Jeff's mom's lung had collapsed the night before. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And he had already changed his flight plans to get out of there as quickly as he could. And you know the story. You know he got to lead her to the Lord. Yes. I mean, it was it was an awesome, oh, awesome man. thing. Yeah. But he would have had every reason in the world to be distracted. He was a laser beam. And I let him do the majority of the argumentation. Um, and the primary reason was physical. In the room, um, the, the, the speakers were blown. They were so old they hadn't been replaced. Huh. They couldn't turn them up far enough. And I could not hear what the older of our opponents was even saying. Huh. Jeff is younger than me, and he was sitting closer to them. And so it was just simply necessity, but I didn't mind doing it <laughs> yeah. because he was on fire. Yes, he man. was. Yeah. yeah, he really was. He was just so focused. I'm so proud of that young man. And I've, uh, he's, I think he's told the story that he once showed up at the Easter pageant. Have you heard this? He showed up at the Easter pageant. He's a teenager. He shows up at the Easter pageant and he comes up behind me and I turn around and I just look oh, down. Yeah. He has told this he story. He is wearing red yeah. plaid jammy pants. <laughs> red plaid jammy pants. And so this is this is what happened. This is, this belt, is what happened. a belt buckle. Yeah. <laughs> I looked down, I looked back at him, and I just turned away. I never right. said a word to him. Yeah. He went home and changed. <laughs> when he you, went home and changed. Yeah. That seems like the nineties to me. Told, <laughs> he told me that if I were to ever stand in the back of the room there at church, especially when I first started attending, if I ever stood in the back and just crossed my arms and just went, he would collapse. <laughs> he, he would just, all right, we're done. Let we're go. done. Let's do the Lord's Supper. And Put, that would have been, that would be it. So, puddle of goo. Uh, yeah. No, I am I am so thankful for him. And I'm so thankful that I have been able to learn so much from him as well. Sure. Uh, one thing I've committed to in my life, because I saw what it did to other people, specifically a man by the name of Norman Geisler, Mm-hmm. Norman Geister did not believe that he could learn anything from anyone who was younger than himself. Mm. And I saw that and I didn't just see it in him. I've seen it in others. And I'm like, I'm never going to be that person. I mean, I, I understand what it means to to be my age yeah. <clears throat> and to realize when someone who's younger than my youngest child uh, comes up to me and starts spouting stuff that I can tell they don't have any what they're talking about. Right. I get that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love listening to Jeff preach and I learn from him. And um, I'm just so thankful to be there. Um, what a weird hubris. I'm just, I'm just trying to make his life a little easier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Lord has a lot of things for him to do. I, I guess that's why I'm there. I mean, I'm like the truth is right, and this is true for any really good minister, is mm. you don't actually ever get to see all of the ripples mm. and where they land. Um, and what a sweet blessing it is from the Lord in Jeff and your relationship with him mm. to get feedback the way that you've been able to get feedback through your friendship and mentorship. And I know he yeah. would just be 
like absolutely tickled. That's probably not the word he would use um, to hear how you have been influenced by him. Oh, wow. I mean, oh, he- I think he knows. I think he knows that I try to be I try to be open and clear about those things. And um, yeah, you know, when you do get to get feedback, um, you know, the only book we talked about, the grieving book, the only book I've ever written where I've had multiple people come up to me mm. over the years and say, that book saved my life. Ooh. I was contemplating suicide until I read that book. Um, you know, you don't, if you actually have people coming up to you and telling you that, yeah. then you know there's a whole lot more so many. that never sure. get the opportunity. Yeah. There's, always, there's always more unspoken uh, than they're spoken. I've learned that. Exactly, uh, yeah. exactly. So, you know, when I when I first spoke in Pachasroom, South Africa, mm. uh, at Northwest University down there, I had a homeschool family come up to me after a debate I did with a Muslim. And this is this is Pachasroom, South Africa, for crying out loud. And the kids are talking about how important the dividing line has been to them <laughs> yeah. in their yeah. education. Yeah. It's the other part of the, it's the other side of the world. Right, wow. right. Like your brain you just, doesn't think about you, that you, part of the world existing no, no, until no. you're there. Right. Yeah, wow. It's, it's pretty. Anyway, That's so as cool. we as we chronicle everything that you've done, what God has placed you, um, it seems to be that uh, God has affected a lot of people through your work, through yes. the stoners and the potheads during right. a Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> um, and to me, who was. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got, we'll use initials, but we, like we won't put that in the roster. Yeah. but it's I mean, cannabis, cannabis users, cannabis which, users, yeah. right? People <laughs> affected by James White, cannabis Citizens users of Colorado. Yes. <laughs> However, and 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 it continues to go deeper and deeper as well. I'm a you know I love theology. I've read your books. Uh, I've listened to great theologians and fathers over uh, church fathers over the years. Um, it really has actually affected. Say so, yeah, no, I mean, and other church fathers. I, <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all spiritual fathers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, um, Luke is rubbing off on me. I'm sorry. Oh right. Um, oh, but he rubs <laughs> off on everybody. He does. But um, and it, like I said, it continues to go deeper because mm. in all of this stuff that I studied, I came out of the drug culture, atheistic culture. I was a Same. self-proclaimed anarchist with a nihilistic uh, disposition. Mm. Um, I didn't have academia or any kind of apologetics said to me. I was just sick and tired of being paranoid from the drugs and broken and angst that I cried out to God one day and really had what I I guess I would call a very charismatic experience as far as the Holy Spirit, which led me to my faith and repentance. Your conversion experience. It was euphoric. Yeah. yeah. And I I just, you know, I've never had a feeling like that, the uh, except that first day. But then the joy and truth that I experienced after that, um, you know, is much better. And it really took a long time to get into my heart that I was truly saved. I believed in faith and faith alone, sort of what Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about spiritual depression uh, um, a lot is that we fail to grasp that concept. We can believe it. We see it in the scriptures. We know it's there. But I was so riddled with guilt and other existential circumstances that would probably undermine the complexity if I just, you know, said, no, it's this thing. Um, It took a long time. And one of the moments that was sort of the catalyst for me being grounded in that is 
you were debating um, uh, Dr. Michael Brown uh, on the dividing line. And I don't know if you would call it a debate yourself other than a, a discussion between friends, but, it, it, you know, you went back and forth and he asked you a profound question that a lot of Calvinists get. Um, you know, how do you know that you're elect? And you gave an answer that dropped me to my knees. Um, oh, I'm so a quiver with what he said. Yeah. What did he say? He said, I have to think that I know my God more now than I ever have. Oh. And I realized that I, I, I went back <laughs> to the moment I got saved and realized that I did. Um, now I'm getting misty. Yeah, me too. Na- that I did <laughs> know my God. That is a testimony to my salvation right. that he, and that he mm-hmm. loves me. And I actually, if I had sackcloth, I would have put it on, but I did get uh, on my, you, I, that, I did get on my knees and put my face to the ground and weeped and uh, mm-hmm. repented of that, that sin that I believe that God dropped me like a bad habit. That moment where you yeah. can go to the door jam mm-hmm. and actually see like where God has measured your spiritual growth you know, along yeah. the like trajectory of your sanctification. What a, what a powerful. And then I, I, and then I looked at a mirror and I went, you theology nerd, you're weeping over an <laughs> academic debate that convict you yeah. of sin. <laughs> um, but, but that's the, uh, I mean, God uses truth in every Avenue. Right. And, um, you've been all over the place. You've done a, a lot and truth. I mean, to any aspiring academic, uh, in there, I would say that needs to be some of the virtue, uh, mm. the the love of truth. And of course, I believe, I mean, we're all in a sense presuppositional apolog- <laughs> uh, uh, apologists here <laughs> that it is predicated ontologically upon the God who stepped inside of his own creation. Right. And uh, I just, uh, I, I've been blessed in those and I view everything in light of sanctification as well. So even if I'm enjoying an academic debate, you know, how is this sanctifying me? Right. How can I communicate it to others so that God they experience the same it, thing? Right, to grow me and I've seen so. more of that come out of your debates, or at least from my perspective, and I believe it is true uh, on that um, than ever. And I could just, it, it, it all started with, um, first of all, the word of God, and then him slowly introducing um, uh, all these men in my life. The first, um, evangelistic excursion that I ever went on was actually at my community college before I transferred to a major university. And it was two Mormon, um, uh, sisters, uh, uh, that were vendors at Australia, uh, uh, mountain community college. And I didn't really understand Mormonism. I just heard everybody go, it's a cult. It's a cult. It's a cult. It's a cult. Uh, uh my mom, it's a cult. Don't leave those people alone. It's a cult. But I wanted to talk to them, and I didn't really know anything, and I got the sense real quick that we were different uh, when they dis- uh, started describing the uh, the person of Christ. And so I went home, and I started to um, I started Research. to learn about it, and right. you popped up, and then Apologia popped up, and the rest is history kind of thing. And, <laughs> and then um, they liked me at first. Uh, wow. uh, three weeks later, they yelled at me. So well, well. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times yeah. uh, globally – and now more in the United States because I'm not traveling globally anymore. But uh, it's either I was watching Jeff Durbin and then you popped up. Yeah. Right. Or Vice versa. I've been watching you for years and that's how we found out about Apologia and Jeff yeah. Durbin. And we are, we are for better or for worse, uh, connected at the hip yeah. Uh, yeah. along those lines. Yeah. And he's told me he 
he gets the exact same thing all the same. Yeah, all the I definitely. I'm on the. Great. I'm on the uh, side of better. for better. I think. And the for, and the dopamine yeah, for better. <laughs> and and the oxytocin that you feel out of that once you right. go once you go. They're in Phoenix. I know. <laughs> and, and I'm in Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix. <laughs> um, so. Doctor White, we are going to have to have you back on because I still have nine hundred and ninety nine thousand questions that I would love. That's to how many minutes we talked for. About. I don't think we got to almost anything we were supposed. To talk no, about but anyways, I so. feel like it was just such an incredible conversation, and yeah. like the Lord set it up like without uh, prefacing our conversation was going to be re- related to grief in that book. Uh, he let it happen organically, and I'm certain it's because lots of people need to hear about it. Mm-hmm. So um, we are I, seriously grateful for you and your ministry and your love of God's people, and we are going to uh, hostage you back here. As many times as you're willing to come, yeah. so thank you. Well, uh, it's, well, as long as- with this, with this, uh, with this uh, studio, I, it's hard to come up with excuses <laughs> of my own lack of being able to schedule things. But it is, uh, it is pretty cool to be able to uh, sit here and uh, show you pictures of uh, yes. whatever it was I was showing you pictures of my truck, uh, which is currently <laughs> to my which shame is currently yeah. uh, nice and clean. Yes. Um, and it'll only remain that way till tomorrow because right. yeah. uh, uh, it's gonna. We've we've got storms coming in oh, again. Wow! I yeah. washed yeah. it literally two days ago. I I drove into a wash because yeah. it was dirty. I mean, it's pulling a fifth wheel. It has yeah. to work hard. I pulled in, and when I by the time I got out of the wash, I see this big old thunder head heading straight <laughs> for us. It's just sort of like. Well, that's the biggest waste of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just got it cleaned up and uh, it's parked right there. Right behind Basically you. Basically within three feet of the, this wall. I love it. Uh, is where she is. But real blessing because, uh, like I said, this trip's 4,300 miles. And in September for G3, it's going to be 5,100 miles for that. Yeah almost three week uh, long trip. So yeah. Um, pray that it will, that we'll get 500,000 miles out of her. Cause that's about what we need. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're sure definitely, will. yeah. We'll, we'll, defi- and we'll pray for some yeah, we'll definitely pray for some traveling mercies there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. On your, you're going to Minnesota next, right? That's what you. Minnesota. Minnesota yeah, I hope yeah. I do not get eaten by the mosquitoes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a native. I was born in Minneapolis. So, well, uh, I was only there for five years. So I, I can't claim too much about it, but I do remember that during the summer, the mosquitoes were so thick um, that you couldn't go outside until we lived in a 105-year-old farmhouse Whoa. that my dad Whoa. had fixed up. So we were poor as mice, and we had bats Whoa. in the attic of this of this place. I mean, you could hear them up there. Literal bats you, in the belfry. You bell could open it without guano falling out. <laughs> <of> the <ceiling. laughs> but the neat part was, seriously, the neat part was, as soon as the sun went down, all of a sudden, out they came. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And within cool. five minutes, there wasn't a mosquito to be found in our yard. So as long as you didn't mind the... <laughs> stuff going on <laughs> after about five minutes mosquito free zone gotta love right. it you could actually leave the house right. and enjoy yeah. it just to let you know i have a sound pad so that accent you just put on when you said mosquitoes i'm gonna clip up and uh, <laughs> but um and we'll uh, have as Im- our intro it'll be immortalized i was, I was born in minnesota yeah. I, I, I know the norwegians they're all around <laughs> and all. 
very nice people. They give it so much so content. They eat the bisque and stuff like that, which I cannot eat. It's very disgusting, but it's okay. <laughs> See, how can Summer ever have a deadpan face or anything? Oh, like man. <laughs> have you ever asked Summer? I've ever asked Summer. Summer tells me she gets asked all the time. She's mm. People ask her, so what was it like growing up as James White's daughter? Yeah, and she <laughs> goes, it was hilarious. Yeah. She said, <laughs> I have totally had her respond that way yeah. to that question. Yeah. Hilarious. Is, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. And then we've got all these stories that, yeah. we, that we tell. Um, <laughs> and it was. Um, we had a lot of fun. I mean, I would sneak into their room at night and, I mean, army crawl in there. And I would. I would take 20 minutes to do it just so that <laughs> they didn't know right at the right time right. I could dive over that bed and just absolutely make them wet themselves. I mean, it was just, yeah, that's, um, that's what you're supposed to. That's what oh, dad's supposed to Yes, yeah. yes. Dad goals, <laughs> yes. for sure. You hear that, we people. Laser, it's okay to. Had laser wars and, oh, yeah. That's it was, the it best. Was lots of wow. Uh-oh. <laughs> I just looked over at my other screen here, and I have a voice message from Jeff oh. Durbin. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> well, this isn't live, so he's not watching it right no, now. <laughs> so he doesn't oh, know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> right. Well, Dr. White, All right. yeah. we'll wrap it up. Thank you for coming on the show. If you're grieving at all, uh, please pass this along to as well. We love you. Remember, he's overcome the world. Thank Take you. Heart.